Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, everyone. I'm Peter. I'm an alcoholic. Step five. One of my most fearful steps. I admitted to God, to myself, and to and to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs. Uh, first off, I'm an alcoholic. I think the, the the thing about the fourth step of what Daniel is talking about that I come into AA. I'm a character. I'm full of fears. And as Randy so wonderfully points out, every time I see him, I'm in a state of complete defeat. I'm not really willing to accept that defeat. Uh, but by going through the, uh, the fourth step, as Daniel was talking about, of making a list, of taking an inventory, of finding out who I really am, it enables me to be able to have a worthwhile relationship with other human beings and with God. That's something I didn't have when I came into AA, because I was a performer, I was a people pleaser. And I did that by, in my mind, by working very hard. But actually what that hard work was all about, working at the studios in my case, uh, you know, working 12-hour days and seven-day weeks and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I tried to get uh, the approval by doing that type of work. But what I was actually doing is I was very busy. And... Uh, you know, I stayed very busy in my own head, so I, I didn't have to address the facts as to why I wasn't getting uh, the approval that I sought. So, you know, this I was reading uh, out of the 12 by 12 this morning, and there was an in- interesting, to me, uh, paragraph at the bottom of 57. I'll just read it. It's just a few lines. It says, when, re- when I reached AA and for the first time in my life stood amongst people, who seemed to understand the sense of belonging was tremendously exciting. I thought the isolation problem had been solved. But I soon discovered that while I wasn't alone anymore in a social sense, I still suffered many of the old pangs of anxious apartness. Until I had talked with complete candor of my conflicts and had listened to someone else do the same thing, I still didn't belong. Step five was the answer. It was the beginning of a true kinship with man and God. That's my kinship with man and God. And that's what I come here for. You know, it's, it's a tremendous thing for Alcoholics Anonymous to exist, to be here. Because uh, without it, I wouldn't have been able to have my life saved. Uh, I couldn't do it myself. And, but I'm very grateful now as I, as I heard those old codgers that when I first came into AA and I didn't know what they were talking about and they were talking about how grateful they were to be an alcoholic. And, uh, and that's how I am now. I'm grateful for all the trauma and all the, uh, miscues and problems I went through and arrest records and the whole shot. Broken relations, relationships to be able to get here. And, you know, I, I remember with uh, uh, step five, I had a very difficult time in separating myself from the people that I had injured, because in my own brain, uh, I'm trying to please all these people. I had a difficult time separating myself uh, from other people, and uh, 
you know, I figured that if I if I did the right thing, that people would be happy with what I was doing. So I I lost that sense of separation, and uh, I I was never able to ask anybody or ask a gal, how do you feel? You know, what do you think? I always had to be uh, uh, intuitively know what it was that she was saying, but I was wrong all the time. I was never in the present moment, no matter what I was doing, whether it was in a state of intimacy or whether I was having dinner. I was always at least five minutes ahead of the game, so I was not present for my life. So I think this is the condition that we all come in here with, that we're not present for our own lives. I'm looking at Ken there. I love Ken, how he has the scientific method, and I look at all the the, the post-its hanging out of his book, and I, I admire that capability that he has to go into and look at things line by line and find out what the presentation really is all about. You know, I'm, I'm 19 years sober now. I got sober in 93. Bob, God bless me, adopted me as his sponsee. I showed up with a legal tablet. I wrote everything down even though all the meetings were being recorded. For me, my, my, own, my own personal dilemma in my life was I was working at the studios. Some of us who work there, we call it the circus. And uh, so I am, I am a creature of habit. Bob told me about that, how I am a creature of habit. I'm, I'm mentally set up to get up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, go to work, deal with all the BS at work, and then work for 12 hours, and then uh, do the commute home. And, uh, and of course, way back when, I would sometimes even stay up all through the night partying and then go back and work another 12 hours. And uh, I thought, boy, I'm a, <laughs> what, a, what a creature I am. Uh, but the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that even though I was in AA, even though that Bob Anderson was my sponsor, I was living in a life that I had no control really over my hours and uh, what my life was like on the outside. This was my experience. So I've been sober now, or I've been um, retired now for two years. And the wonderful thing is that it's a whole change of life. I get an opportunity to change uh, my habits of thinking, change my habits of living. There's some guys here who know uh, Bill Warner, big, tall Bill Warner. Was, uh, he was a painter over at Warner Brothers with me, and we worked many years together. He took me to my first AA meeting. We lived together, drank together. We fought the same people. It was just a, a wonderful alcoholic life. And But the thing was, I gave him a call as I was leaving the lot, and he says, oh, Pete, you have to make a lot of adjustments when you leave the lot. And he told me about it. He says, you have to be good to yourself. You have to be able to pick up some new hobbies. You have to, like, start walking, golfing, uh, bicycling, swimming, whatever it is you want to do. But you have to get out there and you have to put effort into making a new life for yourself. And, uh, you know, this is what I find out that I am attached to my old character. I only get something out of AA by putting effort into it. And, you know, in going through the, uh, uh, the fifth step, uh, Bob went over to uh, Europe at the time and, you know, he suffered from... Uh, cancer and emphysema and other things. And he went on over to Germany and, and anyway, he was well taken care of when he went there. But I told him I was going to, I wanted to do the fifth step with him when he got back. So for me, the difficulty I had back then, and this is like in, uh, he died in 97, this would have been probably about 1995, uh, uh, end of 95. 
And uh, my difficulty was, of course, separating myself from the people that I had injured. And this was, you know, the girlfriend and my parents, the people that are closest to me. It was very difficult for me to uh, ascertain what my part in the uh, going through the fourth step, like Daniel was talking about, uh, of finding out what my part in the in my life was. So I remember Bob always telling me, especially in regards to my old girlfriend, he says, look, your fourth step has nothing to do with her. And I said, well, it's got everything to do with her. Uh, you know, she's my obsession. She was the gal that I thought about all the time. My life was, you know, she was the last gal in a long, long list of gals uh, that I had a uh, uh, an unhappy breakup with. And she had kids. I was attached. And, uh, you know, I, I was in my mid-40s at that point, and I thought, who am I going to be? What am I going to do now? You know, I thought it was like the end of the road for me. So I held on. Uh, you talk about, you know, the dying reaching for a life preserver. I held on to her like a life preserver. So she was the thing that gave me worth and value in my life. So the whole thing about uh, going through the fifth step was to uh, realize, and as I talked to Bob, I remember we went up over into uh, Glendale and we were at, at one of uh, Ali's, uh, um, Ali's brother's restaurant there, and that's where... Uh, we did the fifth step together. And it was for me to be able to tell him my story. And the reason it was so good for me to tell Bob my story was because he was an experienced member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He knew what the problem was. So I came to him, and I'm, I'm just on the fifth step. I've just done the inventory, and I'm presenting that to him. So the wonderful thing about Bob is... He knew so much uh, about his own alcoholism that when I was there with him, he could see what was going on with me. And that was the important point because he, he, could, he could listen, but he also had counsel for me as to what to do. And, uh, and it was very valuable counsel because, uh, you know, the man had been married a couple of times before and he had had all the experience with women. So... He spoke from experience, and he was telling me what to do and what not to do. And that was really an important thing for me because I needed to have somebody else's advice on what to do. And that's the important thing with a sponsor. Tony's my sponsor now. If there's there's some question I have, I can always ask him about it. And I can, I can get another person's opinion because if I just go back to myself, I'm going to be stuck. So, you know, it was... Uh, this connection between the, the fourth step, which is where I was, I completed the searching and fearless moral inventory of myself, <laughs> and it's the bridge between the fourth and the sixth step. That's where I'm headed. I was entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, but I had to find out what the defects of character were. I had to find out whose defects they were. This was, wasn't easy for me because I want to, I want to pin the blame on everybody else. That's what I'm doing. I'm a good doer at that. I'm a good fault finder. And, uh, and also, uh, at the same time, I'm a giver. Uh, you know, and I had have some money and I want to spend it and I want to fix things for people and then you owe me. And, uh, great, <laughs> wonderful relationship. And, uh, 
So these were uh, things that I all did, but all trying to be pleasant and nice and cordial all at the same time. But inside, that was my motivation. That's what the, my, the foundation of my life was at the time. So that was the important thing for me to, to make that bridge to the point of where I was able to become willing to have God remove all these defects of character. And, uh, you know, it's my life really today, I, I know I sound like I'm nervous up here, but I, I have to honestly tell you, my life has never been better than it is right now. And I, I was able to, uh, after that fifth step, restore through God my relationship with my parents. I was able with my brother to take care of both of them at home until they died. One uh, lived to be 97 and the other was uh, almost 101. And I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have had that experience unless I had come to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I, I consider that uh, a great blessing to have had that opportunity to do that. Because the, the payoff I got for doing it, for becoming a giver, Bob was always talking about taking oneself and, and going from becoming from a, being a taker to becoming a giver. And that's the important thing in life. And that practice with my folks enabled me to become a giver. A lot of people said to me that, you know, knew I was doing this and I showed up on a punctual basis. I never left town, went out of town. And they says, oh, why don't you take a break? Why don't you go here? Why don't you go there? And I said, oh, no. I said, I have to do this. And in fact, it wasn't because I was compelled to do it. It was because I had the desire to do it. I was already getting the payoff from doing it. And Bob helped me with my, uh, you know, through the fifth step and speaking about my dad. My uh, Bob said to me, he says, look, he says, you can allow him to be right, even when he's wrong, as long as he isn't injuring you. Well, he never beat me up. He wasn't molesting me. He wasn't stealing my money. He wasn't after my girlfriend. He wasn't slashing my tires. I mean, he was actually a nice guy. He loved me, and I didn't know it. And the, and the reason I didn't know it was because of that old character. And uh, so it's, it's because of that old character that I've been able to shed just in thinking about it. It brings me to tears of who I was. And it also makes me very grateful for whom I have been able to become. So when I talk to you about being the happiest I've ever been, and you go, what, he must be absolutely nuts. Here he is. He's up at the podium crying away. But I really have to tell you that I get a chance to be of assistance to other people now, uh, that I find out that other people get ahead of me and get in front of me. Uh, so whether it's, uh, you know, Jimmy or, you know, my brother or, People at the church I go to, next door neighbors, uh, I'm able to be out there and to help people. And I don't have to be caught up in what the final outcome is. I can just do it. And, uh, it gets me, it gets me into a happy place. I've got a good life today. And, uh, oh, thanks, Tony. <laughs> So anyway, I always want to say God bless Randy because 
he always wants to ask me to uh, lead the Monday meeting. But, uh, you know, I have a great state, state of fear about getting up and talking in front of people. And um, so it's something I try to overcome. I'm glad my name was on the list when I came here. I was able to listen very attentively. And I tried to write down what it was that was being said. Because, you know, there's always more and more to get off, get out of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was always the way it was with Bob. And, uh, you know, Bob up to taking his dying breath was like, you know, commented to somebody who was getting emotional by his bed as he was dying and said, hey, get with what's happening. I mean, this is it. And, and so that's, that's the only moment I ever get to be in is in this moment right here, right now. So when it comes to the point of my being able to take my last breath, I want to be present for it. And, uh, you know, I, I look at his picture and some things were mentioned by a couple of people here. I remember especially Bill and talking about, um, you know, where we're headed, what's on the other side. And it's just something that I uh, that I do look forward to, but I can only get there by having humility. And humility is knowing that I'm not the, the top pin of the group. Uh, humility is something that I've had to research. There's other spiritual writings, and, uh, you know, I've read them, and I read them on a daily basis. And it's for me to know who I am and how imperfect I am. And it's not to uh, abuse myself about my imperfection, but it's to realize who I am, that I'm, I'm just a human being. I'm doing the very best I can, but as Bob used to so colorfully point out he's, in, about himself, he says, I have a pea brain. Well, I thought he had the biggest brain in the world. Uh, you know, he was the type of guy that when I had seen him over at St. Joe's, he'd be in the hospital. I, meant, I, I remember I went in one time, and I, the white light was streaming through the window, and he had white sheets, and he was like, you know, propped up in bed, as he always was. And, uh, you know, I just like touched the sheet, and I was hoping for that miracle. But the miracle for me has come in slow bits and pieces, and that's why I'm here today, is to get another part of it. And, uh, you know, the miracle for me is Alcoholics Anonymous, so that I can have a life that's really, truly worth living. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I made much sense about uh, doing the fifth step, but it was a very important thing in my life. I still have the, the writings of what I wrote down, and I still have the great remembrance of Bob being a sponsor, being able to counsel me on what it is that I told him. And the fact of the matter is I, I have three people that I sponsor today of whom I've heard two fifth steps from. And, you know, I don't go to me to give them any advice about what the deal is, how to have a good relationship with an ex-wife. I've never been married. I don't have an ex-wife. I don't have any kids. They got kids. And you say, well, how would somebody like me have something worthwhile to tell that to somebody else? But I found out, you know, I do. And uh, But it's up to them, and they pick it up, and they run with it, and they get as much out of it as they put into it. And it's a, it's a miracle. It's just It's just absolutely phenomenal. You couldn't put that together and say, how could that possibly happen? But uh, it does. Thanks, Tom. Here's the question. How does one, like Bob, like Bob did, get in touch intimately with his alcoholism so we may help others get in touch with theirs? (laughs) 
You know, I was sitting over at one of the uh, uh, dining tables this morning. I was sitting next to Jimmy. And uh, anyway, Reggie was on over there. And there was a, uh, a newcomer to this group, actually a, a father and son team. And they were both seated at the table. And uh, the father was asking Reggie about when did Bob get this? I mean, he wanted to have the rundown of like, well, how many years sober was he in? And, and, and what happened? And Reggie has a story because Reggie's known uh, Bob longer than me. Jimmy obviously has known him longer than probably all of us. But, but it was wonderful to hear Reggie talk about his experience of finding out who Bob Anderson was and the trip that Bob went through. He just didn't do the steps and become the perfect guy. Uh, it was a process that he went through. Uh, you know, there was his experience of life of, uh, you know, of getting cancer, of getting replumbed. Uh, there were AA guys of which I wasn't there at the time. They came and prayed around his bed when he was in the hospital. And the man survived. And, uh, you know, then he came on up here and he moved up here into uh, Yucca Valley. And, uh, you know, Jimmy was telling the story this morning. He says, well, he moved up here because I was here. And <laughs> so... Anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a great story to be able to hear. But the great thing about Bob was that he came down and he drove down in his car. He drove all the way to Studio City and he led that meeting. You know, somebody gave me a piece of paper and it had uh, Bob's name on it and it had an address on Overland Avenue over in uh, uh, Culver City. I worked at MGM at the time and somebody gave me, I had to have no idea who gave it to me. That's a long time ago, 19 years. And I went to that meeting and I heard Bob. Bob was inside. He had the big book and the 12 by 12. And he, he was a fascinating guy because I'd been to a lot of meetings for 13 years. Uh, Bill Warner took me to my first meeting. I did have no idea what they were talking about. I was looking for the gals. And, uh, but Bob was saying stuff and I listened to him and I didn't hear what it was that he was defining, but I, I heard a question that he asked because he would read something and he'd look up at everybody and he'd say, now what's that mean? And, you know, I'm, I, I figured I got more intelligence than this guy, but, but I accepted him as an authority right there. And uh, so that's how I ended up following him around. I went to the meeting and I followed him everywhere. I drove with him. I went out to Yucca Valley. I went with him when he had his chemo. I, you know, I, I got commitments. I went to the restaurants. I was fortunate because my family loved me despite what I was telling you about my dad. Uh, my mom gifted me with some money that she got from a distant, you know, relative. And so even though I couldn't, I wasn't regular on paying my bills, I was always getting the utility shut off. I always had money on, on my desk in unopened envelopes. And so, you know, it's just this terrific thing of where I was, God provided for me to be able to go and hear this message on a daily basis. And I had the tapes. And, I, you know, it's wonderful. I come here with my friend Tom, who's uh, worked in the same studio as me and, and uh, worked construction over at Warner Brothers. We're, we're blue-collar workers. And it's fascinating because I see him, and in the middle of a talk, you know, it's like he wants to nod off. And I told him, I says, oh, I used to do the same thing. I'd be at that meeting, and, uh, you know, Bob would always put a, uh, a piece of paper around the AA on the front of the podium. Same podium there, still over in uh, uh, Sherman Oaks, and I would—he's my sponsor—and I'd be sitting right where Jimmy's sitting, and I for, would forget what the meeting's about because my mind would leave the room. And then someone would get up, and I—I'd be listening. And somebody would say alcohol, and I'd say, "That's right, 
It's an AA meeting. And that's how damaged I was when I came in. When I came into AA. So, so when I say that I'm really grateful for my life, I mean, I think you might believe me that I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm very delighted to hear the people that speak much better than me. And uh, I look forward to hearing hearing more questions. Okay. Could you talk about the fifth step promises on page 75 of the big book? We can look the whole world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fields fall, our fears fall from us. I begin to feel the nearness of my Creator. I may have had certain spiritual beliefs, beliefs, but now I begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. I feel I am on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Well, that's what it is that's happened for me when I'm talking about how my life has never been better than it is today. Uh, that despite my emotion here that I'm not able to control when I get up here at the podium, I want you to know that when I'm alone and you only have my, my word on it or if you're, you're around me when I'm outside, that I am at peace. And, uh, and I am a friendly soul and I'm at ease and I feel good in the company of others, especially other alcoholics. Um, so... That's all I can say about, yeah, the promises come true for me. You mentioned attachment. Can you talk about detachment, letting go? Yeah, the the key for my detachment is in humility. And, uh, you know, that's for me is to find out how little power I have. And also on a daily uh, basis to review my life. And I can go to the tenth step for that. And I can take an inventory of what it is that I've done for the day, the good things, and the things of where I haven't quite measured up to the mark. It's not a point of finding failure in myself. It's a, po- it's a point of finding out a place of where I can renew my strength and go further the next day or even that, even in that day itself. Especially as I go to, as I go to bed, lay my head down and I pray. And in my prayers, uh, you know, when I go to sleep, uh, I talk about my own, my own imperfection. And, uh, you know, I talk about the fact that, uh, that I miss the mark that on a daily basis. I never get one day perfect. Uh, but I do the best I can and I find out the next day keeps getting better and better and that's the progress. I'm John and I'm an alcoholic. And, um, I'm having a good time at this retreat. And I've been to a number of retreats and, you know, I'll sign up for it, and usually what happens is the day before I'm set to go, I start having second thoughts. Uh, <laughs> what the hell did I just do? Uh, oh, it's gonna be another one of those retreats, and then I'm gonna have to get on the get on the on the ten. It's probably gonna be a parking lot, and there's gonna be a lot of. Uh, oh, I'm not gonna eat those today. 
Thanks, Dad. Yeah, thank right. you. I'll be my mind. Um, <laughs> it's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people I don't know. It's going to be, uh, and then I, and then I'm going to get to the retreat, and there's going to be people there, and uh, and, and and people, people, and and, the, and they're going to get in the way of my self obsessing. Uh, so I have to, I have to, everything that I do that is good for me is the thing that I resist most. Like going to an AA meeting, sometimes calling back a sponsee, calling my sponsor. Because, you know, the, the steps we talk about being in a logical order form, which they are, I mean, numbered 1 through 12, but the steps to an alcoholic are completely illogical. This turns everything on its head as far as everything that I've been programmed to believe, everything that I know, and now we're talking about I can't be the power for my life anymore, and now I have to go to some other power. Now I have to make amends. Now I have to do an inventory. Uh-uh. Totally illogical to me. But I do it, and I do it because it saves my life, and I see you guys doing it, and I see what it has done for you. So, you know, I love this program today. I love AA and I love prime time. And I love the guys in here. I mean, these guys really, you know, they walk this talk. And I'm very attracted to this message. So, uh, I guess I'm supposed to talk about step six. Um, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Now, you know, um, Bob used to say, you, you can't, have step one without step two. You can't have step two without step three. You can't have step four without step five. And they, I, I'm never going to get the steps. If, if, if these steps started with step six, I would be in a lot of trouble. I'd be running out the room in two seconds. So I'm sort of sucked in with the first half of step one. I'm licked. I can't drink anymore. Um, I realize it's causing a lot of wreckage in my life. So that gets me in the door. And so I admit complete defeat. I see that I have a devastating weakness. Now, if it stopped there, I may as well hang myself. So thank goodness there's a step two. There's a solution. that I can go to this power that's greater than myself that will solve my problem, restoring back to sanity. And step three is all about living this new way of life, living the principles and the steps. Step four is about looking inwardly, writing down all my resentments, all the things, all the old character things that made me the way I was, and possibly for the first time in my life, actually starting to look at that. I mean, of course I can't do step four without alone. I have to take God with me from step three. And step five is admitting it to my sponsor, admitting it to another human being, and looking at the resentments and looking at the pattern of the resentments. And the patterns form my character defects. And I don't have a long list, but I do have patterns. And some of my character defects include, you know, there's uh, a fear is the number one, being right, uh, a procrastination, a sloth, and occasionally I lie when it's convenient. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I have to, I have to look at here. And I've been, uh, that, and I'm clumsy. 
That's the other one. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> I'm not sure clumsiness is a character defect or a physical problem. So I have to look at this. You know, I've been coming to AA since 1995, and it was only recently, about three months ago, at a primetime meeting that I, somebody was reading, you know, chapter five, and it, they said we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. And, and funny thing. You know how alcoholics, that we don't listen, I don't listen. It's the first time I heard God in that step. I, if you asked me before that what that step was, I'd say, you know, we're entirely ready to remove my defects of character. And I can't do this without a higher power. I can't do any of these steps without a higher power. And I tried to remove my defects of character by myself, and, you know, taking courses, Anthony Robbins, seminars, it didn't work, because I suffer from alcoholism. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a spiritual malady, it's a mental obsession, followed by insane urge. I have a very specific problem that needs a very specific solution. So, you know, one of the, uh, so, so the first, so the first uh, six steps really are about alcoholism, and the remainder, uh, seven through twelve, are about building a new character. So, this is the turning point step. This is the step that I have to look at um, if I, and this is the step, as they say in uh, in the twelve and twelve, separates the boys from the men. And what it says. Because if I don't read it, I'll make stuff up, like Randy says. Step six. He goes on to explain that any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without any reservations whatever has indeed come a long way spiritually and therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his creator. So I come into AA and I get this perfect release from alcohol. So I know it can be done. I have this, I start to come to believe in this higher power that restores me to sanity and removes the obsession to drink. And that's a miracle in itself. And if I can do that, then why can't he remove all of my other defects of character as well? So at this point, I can stop, you know, just go from one through five, and I can come up here at the podium and say, you know what, I've got, you know, five years because I didn't drink today. And that's what I got. But I can go out on the road and be a maniac. I can say something offensive to you. I could be in anger. I could be in resentment. And I can carry all my character defects with me. Why do I do that? Because I love my character defects. I enjoy them. I mean, they're actually a lot of fun. I love drama. Drama is fun. I get a hit from drama. We had a, we had a meeting the other day, uh, and the speaker was at the sharing from the podium, and somebody got up, I won't say who, and started having this very heated uh, discussion really loud, heated discussion back and forth, back and forth. The room got very, very quiet. 
And there was this like negative energy going on. And I'm sitting right there and I'm thinking, yeah, cool, man. <laughs> That's for me. Maybe they're going to have a, you know, drag down, knockout kind of fight, you know, and that should be really interesting. Because I'm getting, you know, to me, that's, that's kind of fun. And, uh, if I see arguments between people on the street or all that, you know, I'm going to be first one there. I want to be in on it, you know, because then I get to feel a little bit superior, you know, to the other guy. Because I'm not actually involved in that argument. So, uh, the the interesting thing is that in step six he talks about our character defects um, in terms of alcohol first our, our powerlessness over that but then he talks about our other difficulties which don't fall under such a category as all at all which in other words life threatening see see if my anger issues were life-threatening. If my procrastination were life-threatening, I would do something about it. And I'm willing to have God shave off the rough spots, right, of my character defects, but I still want my character defects because they're who, my, who I am. They're, they're my identity. Now, I don't know this on a conscious level, but it really is happening on an unconscious level. Because... This is what makes me, uh, you know, quirky and unique. You know, if I have to give those up, who am I going to be? I'm going to be the hole in the donut. Because my character defects are part of my personality. Everything that I know to be John, who I am. But we talk about how the road gets narrower here. And I cannot afford the character defects that I had when I first got here that compared to today, I have to look at my life and I have to look at what's causing me pain today. And and I cannot have the same character defects that I came in with because it becomes more painful. And so the bottom gets raised and I have to treat this. I have to treat this disease. So we're talking about emotional sobriety here. We're talking about the beginning of a new character. And if I'm don't if I'm not working toward that new character, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble because I'm going to slip slide right back into the disease again and possibly drinking. So in order to ensure my sobriety, I need to do all this stuff that they're asking. So, you know, after step 5, I mean that's a big deal, step 4 and 5. Six, I mean, it sounds like such an easy thing. The big book has just one little paragraph about it. Here's what the big book says. And thank God there's a 12 and 12, because I wouldn't understand this at all just from the big book. It said, we have emphasized willingness. This is We are now at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something, we we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. So, what are the things that I cling to? The things that I cling to, the things that I want to control, you know? I'm And I'm not 
willing in my old character to give up the drama, not giving to give up the anger, to give up the sloth, or to give up being right. You know, I'm willing to give a little bit of that to my higher power, but I want to keep most of it. So I have to have the self-honesty to see what, and, and this is always a good thing to you know discuss with your sponsor. Like, what, am, where am I off? Because if self cannot reveal self to self, I need to talk about this with another alcoholic. Where am I? How is my thinking off? Can you help me with this? Asking another person, and in meditation, asking God for some you know uh, uh, direction as to you know what are my character defects. I remember when I uh, first got into the program, and this is actually most of my life. It was very important for me to uh, to to make uh, funny remarks because if I made a funny remark, you would laugh and then you would like me, and then I would be okay and I would feel all right. And it wasn't until I had some time that I realized that these these remarks were cutting and they were hurtful, and and I did it at at, at your expense, and I was became very, very aware of that character defect. So what did I do? I did the opposite. I stopped doing it. Instead, I listened. And I can hear today. Instead of, you know, it's another problem with my alcoholism is the ability to listen. My idea of listening is, is waiting for your lips to stop moving because then I know it's my turn to talk. But today, you know, there's compassion. You know, we share this common bond, this common weakness, and I can relate to you. And I can actually sit and I could listen without for a few minutes anyway, without thinking about myself. So it's becoming, instead of becoming a, uh, a taker, becoming a giver. So how do I take care of these, uh, uh, to, how, what do I do about these uh, uh, character defects? I just can't pay lip service and say, okay, I'm not going to do them anymore. I have to take action, which usually means for me doing the opposite. So instead of being slothful, i got to get up off my butt and I have to take action. Instead of being greedy, why not be generous? Give to my time or money to another person or another self, uh, or a suffering alcoholic. Uh, instead of being right, I could be open-minded. Instead of being angry, why not? You know, it's like the St. Francis prayer. Do the opposite. And when I start taking those actions, I start having a more peaceful life. I get out of the bondage of self, and I start feeling good. And that is the secret of this program, the opposite of what I thought it was when I came in here. And that's all about the willingness and about keeping an open mind. Uh, how much more time do I have? Five minutes? Okay. All right. So, all right, until I'm done. Okay, this will be... I know you guys are hungry, but this will be about an hour and a half. Um, um, so he talks about instincts. Isn't it strange that we uh, often let these instincts far exceed their intended purpose when they drive us blindly or we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfaction or pleasure than are possible or do us? That is a point in which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. And uh, 
it's it's not the huge defects for me that are easy to give up. It's the it's the multitude of mild, more mild defects, because they don't cause me enough pain. So I have to seek out. I have to look within, and I have to identify what those things are if I'm if I'm to change. And I have to ask God for the willingness so that I can change them, even though they're not immediately life threatening to me, and immediately they're not causing me pain. I have to look at my part in it, and are they causing pain to someone else? Am I hurting another person? And and if I am to become a uh, uh, if I have to be if I want to be in the image and likeness of my Creator, it means I just can't let things slide. See, I get comfortable in AA. You know, I get just about as much sobriety as makes me feel comfortable. And I'm not going to go any further than that. So I'll be okay. I'll sit with some, you know, mild distress and anxiety and some character defects. But you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, really do anything about it because there's really no need to. And I, you know, I'm, and I kind of enjoy them. And um, and I'm not motivated to do it. So. Uh, Here's a, here's a, here's a good uh, paragraph. Self-righteous anger can also be very enjoyable. In a perverse way, we can actually take satisfaction from the fact that many people annoy us. For it brings a comfortable feeling of superiority. Gossip, barbed with anger, a polite form of murder by character assassination, has its satisfaction for us too. Here we are not trying to help those we criticize. We are trying to proclaim our own righteousness. And he, then, then he talks about anger, uh, where we get a warped yet definite satisfaction. So, you know, it's all boils down to I have to look at emotional sobriety. I have to look at my ego. And my ego is always connected to my character defects. Because the ego wants to have be strengthened by by anything and and and, and anything it can grab its hand on hands on that the selfishness the self centeredness the anger anything that it can identify with and that it can be part of my story see because my story is very very important to me see it's part of who I am or so I think I come in here. And I start developing this relationship with this higher power. And suddenly, you know what? My story is just that. It's an illusion. It's just a story. It's not who I am. And this is why the 12 steps are in a logical order sequence. And this is why if I practice these principles in all my affairs, not only do I get a good life, but I get a great life. And I really do have a a great life. In spite of what everything that I just said, I do have a really great life today. And I owe it all to you guys, and I owe it to Primetime and AA and my higher power. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.